0: Uh, This morning is going to be a little different. Um, We're continuing through Nehemiah chapter 2. We are going to look at the scripture passage, but it's going to be kind of interactive this morning. So for the most part, if I ask a question, it's not one of those rhetorical speaker questions where you're supposed to meditate on. I actually want answers. Um, And as I ask them, I ask Sarah, I have the questions written out for her. She's going to just kind of jot down some thoughts from your answers. So it's to kind of stir our minds, stir our hearts, kind of gauge where we're at as a church. Um, so I want you to feel free to, to share what's on your heart. We're all family here, right? Nobody's going to get kicked out, I promise. Uh, nobody's going to call you any names if they do. Give me names. Um, but I really want to hear kind of the heart of the church and our thoughts on, on our church, on our community. Um, to start off with, uh, I wanted to ask two questions that were asked of me at a meeting of uh, different pastors in the area this past week that that. I found very interesting, and I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on it. First question is, as a church, from a church perspective, what was lost during the COVID shutdown? What did we as a church lose during the COVID shutdown? Fellowship? Fellowship? Okay. Handshake. Handshake. Yeah, just basic physical contact, right? facial Facial expressions. I was... Not aware of how much I read lips until the masks went on. <laughs> we just, I don't know if y'all caught that the worship team prayed before the service and we went up in the corner and Dave let us in prayer and we finished. And I said, next week, let's not stand in front of the speaker because I couldn't hear the thing. <laughs> what else? Anything that you, that you feel like we lost during COVID? Yeah, yep. That broke the momentum. It broke the trajectory that we were on. What else? Back on that, we were doing a mission
1: meal over at at Keystone Mission. We were actually doing a physical meal. Right. Where somebody would get up and talk to the people
0: that were there. So that changed. Yeah. So it it limited. limited fellowship, it limited um, opportunities, ministry, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of a joke going around among pastors when when everything shut down and we all were scrambling to go online, and most of us had never done that before. And suddenly, you know, one Sunday I found myself uh, leading worship with Sarah in our kitchen, you know, then doing the prayer and this and that and the sermon and everything. I mean, like, Oh, I was also the tech guy and the sound guy, too, in the midst of all of it. I had to learn guitar real fast. So there was this meme going around that, just like that, my pastor was a televangelist. (laughs) From a pastor's perspective, we had to rethink how how to do ministry, right? We weren't able to do this. So suddenly, like, well, it, it really made you boil down, what is church? What's important? How can we do that in the midst of what's going on right now? So it kind of broke our sense of comfort, like kind of what Rebecca was saying. We were kind of on a path, and all of a sudden that path wasn't there anymore. So we had to really rethink everything. So for pastors, it removed kind of a sense of comfort, uh, a sense of normalcy, a sense of competency, because we we may have looked competent, but we didn't have any idea what we were doing. So we kind of lost all that. Follow-up question. What was gained during the shutdown? Wait. (laughs) Yes. Shall we close in prayer? (laughs) Resiliency. Yeah. Flexibility. Yep. What else? Me? (laughs) Thank you. Anything else? I had the opportunity to spend a whole lot more time in the work uh, you know, more time on my knees, more time reading and listening, mm-hmm. and I, I certainly enjoyed that. Yeah. Yep, yeah, for Sarah and me, like our family life at just the fall before COVID really was absolutely insane. Our schedules were nuts. I remember there was one day, all three boys had a sport and two of them were like our kind of house was kind of in the middle and two of them were on one side and one was in the other, but they were all separate times. So I had to go this way to pick one up, drop him off over here, then pick one up over here and bring him back over here and then drive him home. And it was like literally an hour and a half of just driving like a crazy person to get them where they needed to be. And so when the shutdown first came, you know, who like when everything shut down, were we really like panicking? No, we were kind of like, oh, this is kind of nice. Right. And it was it was good. It was. Terrible, but it was good to just have to be forced to stop, wasn't it? To slow down, to reconnect with your family. What else? What else was gained? Virtual, like you said, evangelism Yeah. You know, it's beyond the walls. You can still preach. Right. Did anybody at any point think, oh no, the church is going to die? No. So it it just forced us to rethink, right? How can we do this? How can we continue to reach people? So the resiliency of the church emerged. The it, it made you kind of boil down to the heart of what is our faith, right? And it's just Jesus. So for myself, I know I know a lot of people lost a lot of our kind of religion, but we found Jesus again. You know? Well, let's uh let's shift gears a little bit. I'm gonna read um, from Nehemiah chapter 2, we're continuing to look at uh, the second chapter there. Um, we're going to we're gonna read through it. I'm going to raise some issues that pop up in it. And again, it's going to be very interactive. We're going to continue to answer questions like that. But in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, starting in verse 11, Nehemiah writes, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So we know uh, that Nehemiah was burdened by the news that the the wall in Jerusalem still lay in ruins, that the gates were burned, that the city was in shambles, uh, that people, the best and the brightest, were still in exile. And if you remember, he wept, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he asked God to to create a way for them to rebuild. And then several months later, God began to answer that prayer, and the king noticed that he was sad and asked him what was going on, and he was bold with the king and, and told him that... Uh, that his city was destroyed and that he wanted to go back and rebuild. And the king granted him that. And then you remember that there was immediate opposition, right? We saw that that God put that on his heart. God granted that prayer, but there was immediate opposition. And so we see that as he arrives in the city, he's, he's kind of assessing what's going on. He's exploring and, and examining the wall and the gates and seeing what the actual situation is. But he's doing it at night. And if you remember, he brought an entourage with him, right? He had bodyguards and things with him, but he left them behind and just had a few people with him. So he was doing it kind of stealthy. So there was still that danger around. And he never told anybody what the plan was until he had kind of assessed what was going on. Two more questions. You ready? All right. City Light Church. I want to know the roots of the church. So the first question is... uh, be brief. I know some of you, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> what brought you to City Light Church? You specifically. What brought you to this church? <laughs> Dave's wife. He's going. <laughs> okay. How so? Flesh that out a little bit. Yeah.
2: Just when we were going to give up, picked up the phone one last time, got um, Crystal Johnson on the phone, and we talked for like an hour
1: and a half. Fell in love with her, came, loved it, okay. never left. Awesome, great.
0: Who else? What brought you to City Light Church? So it's a long story, so I'm, so I'm going to make it really quick. Um, probably ten years ago, I
2: was attending Church in Binghamton, New York, uh, First Assembly of God. Cross Creek, and you know, when I was down here on weekends, I'd go Cross Creek with her, and then eventually she started coming down here after service at Cross Creek because mm-hmm. she felt called to be here. Mm-hmm. And um, so, as time went on, we spent more and more time here. We wound up staying here, and through the turmoil of our downfall and whatever, we felt that we really
0: needed to stay here. Amen. Glad you are. I'd like to say that to <laughs> I was talking to Sue. I
1: have to say, um I had we had
2: church that we were to for thirty some years and we started at And she asked, Paige asked if we could come to this church because the kids in this church were doing something that Sunday morning. Mm. And I, quite honestly, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, the church is over at 1030, 30, and this does not start till last, there's no reason why we can't go. So we did. We came and we started a little program, and that happened.
0: So, uh, a number of years
2: ago, uh, we were at a program of some sort of think It might have been a play at Myers. Our daughter was in. and There was a couple sitting in front of us. We got chatting with them, and we'd been looking for a church for a while. We'd been bouncing around going here, going there. We just couldn't find anything that uh, really struck. And we talked to this couple, and... Um, they invited us to church, and they're sitting right
1: there.
2: <laughs> anyway, uh, but we didn't come to church. And uh, about a year later, our daughter was no longer going to Myers. She was now up at uh, a little Christian school up in Old Forge. And we went to parent-teacher's conference, and they were like, "Why are you here? Your daughter, you know, she's getting good grades." We always go to parent teachers conference, it's just something that you do. Well while we're there, this, this guy was walking by, Hey, why don't you come talk to Kathleen's Bible teacher? Well, he we happened to be the pastor at this church. Mm-hmm. And we realized, Oh, that's right, we did talk to somebody about a year ago.
1: <laughs> and it was like and we just felt like God was just basically saying, You know, I really I put a seed in your heart and yeah. you follow it. With.
2: Yeah. And so Simple worship, it just it was worship, and it was like wow, mm. you know, it was really just none of this other stuff was going on. It was really nice to, to get to know family, and that's really God brought us. I God, think well, God was trying to push us here, and you know, took two tries, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, right? yeah, really, yeah, I happen to be a little bit lazy.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, were awesome. yeah cool yeah really <laughs> <laughs> Let's change the subject quick. what's up <laughs> give me a little of your understanding of the history of City Light church and I'm gonna say to Frank and Don just sit, sit on that for a minute and see what we hear and then. You guys can fill in the gaps. Do we know the history of the City Light Church? All right, Frank and Don, you're on. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's a good run.
2: church plan from Bible studies that outreaches had started. They had a Bible study at Hawaii. They had a Bible study nationally. They had a Bible study in Plymouth. They put the three groups together to form this church. Uh, when they built this building, that that being there, that was the outer wall. So it was just as big. And if you, if you look on the outside of the building, you see that there's cracks about a foot from either either side of the window. These windows were actually foundry windows that they put in and they just put stained glass in the middle of the window. In case the church didn't survive, mm-hmm. this was to be sold to Vulcan Ironworks. Oh wow. The first pastor, Robert Wallace, was a superintendent for the Vulcan Ironworks, which that's a whole big bunch of brick buildings over by Sheetas. Uh, the church has seen its ups and downs through the years Uh, back in the 80's we added that part of the the building on Uh, attendance at that point was about 125 people a week and that was from the neighborhoods here Mm mainly so at that point it was very much a neighborhood church Uh, there have been challenges over the years. Uh, for most of that time, it was just known as the Christian and Missionary Alliance of Wilkes Barrett. Uh, one of the pastors came in and decided to change the name to Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, and then when Jacob came, he changed the name to City Light Church. And we had the Queen Church so there, Well, well when I was pastoring here, we had. English services in the morning, Korean services in the afternoon, and Spanish services in the evening. That's Uh, cool. So we, well, we we wanted to make as much use of the building as we could. When I came, the church was broken. It was to be closed. Uh, The Lord had me in a a unique position where I was able to say to the district, no, we're not going to close the This was my home church. When I retired, I was coming back here, so uh, it was not an option to close Wilkesboro. So the West Piston Church, who originally planted this in 1924, I was pastoring there. We came in and we did vacation Bible schools and things like that, uh, youth youth meetings and things, uh, until the Lord provided us with with Pastor Jacob, and now I stepped out of the way and. Uh, Jacob became pastor. And Jacob was doing well here. Your attendance was up almost hundred. Hmm. So we've we've seen we've seen the, the church go up and down. But when we came here fifty years ago, the one thing that you found is that people prayed. Hmm. On a Wednesday night there was a, an an the rail across the front, and that would be full. And people would be praying that God would make this church effective enough to reach wilkes and beyond. And over the years, it has never ceased to amaze me how God brings people off of the street without any other contact in the, in the church. He just brings people in off of the street. And they come to know Christ and they stay in they
0: pay. That's awesome. I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. That's great. That's so that's what I was looking for. Yeah. Awesome. I know I was supposed to be short. Don't ever ask it back. <laughs> I I had a note to ask you. I knew it wasn't going to be that short. <laughs> the reason I asked those questions is because if you know where you've come from, it helps you know where you're at now. Right? When you look back and you see where you've been, you kind of know what shaped you. What what brought the character, the culture that we have here now. Um, I can tell you that it's it's not typical to have a church that's nearing 100 years old that has as much life as I see here um, and as much health as I see here. So that's amazing um, to see all that ministry taking place in the past, that foundation of prayer is amazing to have people. I mean, think about the, the few people that talked about coming here, right? It was all relational right somebody invited you somebody not somebody walking in off the street that's that's great that's amazing let's get back to that i was taught uh, in seminary that the hebrew word for future is achrit it's got one of those things in it and it has the, it literally translates something along the lines of backside and the the word picture is that you're backing into the future and then you can see behind you what god's been doing and i love that They don't really have an idea of looking forward. They were, you know, the ancient Hebrews were not abstract thinkers. It was very concrete. So they wanted to see what has God done. And so their idea of the future was let's look behind us and let's see what he's been doing. And let's find strength in that. So I think it's important for us as a church to back into the future. To kind of pause and see what God has done here for almost 100 years. That's amazing. So in Nehemiah, the first couple of verses we read, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And then Nehemiah proceeds to describe how he he inspected the wall. He went all the way around the wall of Jerusalem. Again, he did it secretly, he did it at night, he did it with just a few people. Right? So there was kind of a stealth to it. And he had not yet announced why he was there. So the people who were with him didn't even know what the mission was. The Jewish people in the city didn't know why he was there. The first thing he did, having arrived to Jerusalem, was to make an honest assessment of the situation. He didn't come into the city and say, hey, we're going to rebuild, let's go check things out. He quietly took a quick look and saw what the state of the wall actually was, What condition were the gates in? How accurate were the reports that he received? He was assessing what was going on. And you notice he does not sugarcoat how it is. He doesn't come back and say, "'Guys, it's not that bad. We can do this.'" But he also doesn't come back and go, "'Guys, it's trashed. It's over. You know, this trip was a waste. Let's go back home.'" He's honest. He evaluates the situation. He sees the damage, he makes his assessment, and then he casts his vision for the people. So here we go with more questions. You ready? Church family. When you look at this church, what do you see? That's what we want to explore for just a couple minutes. The first question might be a hard one. What are some of the weaknesses that we see in the church? (laughs) My dancing is one of them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I've been there. Don't worry. What are some of the weaknesses that we have as a church? Finances. Okay. Low attendance. What else? Okay. So our limited ministry range, maybe. Okay. What else? We talked kind of earlier on in in the series about some of the hurts that took place, right? So we know that there are some people that still have some hurts they're working through and processing the history of the church on some level. Anything else? Okay, yeah. That's taken care of though. Check some modifications too. You want to assist the elderly we get downstairs to So the physical building itself yep, has some limitations. Anything else? When
2: the neighborhood coming in, one of the things I kind of get a sense of is because of how Wilmsbury is changing, that we may not really have a good understanding of really what this neighborhood is like anymore. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, and and you know, without knowing what our neighborhood is like, we wouldn't even know how right. to even start to, to talk to anyone. Right yeah which which goes back to talking about the missionaries right we need we need to understand the culture of our neighborhood before we can really make an impact here so yeah how about strengths? What are some of the strengths that you've seen in this church? We pray. What was that We're steadfast. steadfast, yeah, you're a stubborn lot, that's for sure. <laughs> Somebody said prayer, yep, prayer. Biblical teaching. Okay. Like a core yeah. And that's stubbornness It's this group people. no, it just it's all the same though. The same people that are here have been here yeah
2: Mm-hmm. So there's
0: not like clicks. If you want it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, uh, you're stubborn together. <laughs> <laughs> if we can keep
2: that up, when the people come in, that would
0: be yeah. something a lot of churches, unfortunately, don't have. I I somehow managed to keep my mouth shut. But um, when we were talking about weaknesses, the size of the church was brought up, which is true. But that's also allows us to do this, right? If we were a church of two hundred, I couldn't very well. Open it up to feedback. So there's a there's a real sense of family here, which is great. Years ago, when um
2: when we first started coming, and it was a very small group at that time. I mean, I would say, well, 12, 13 years ago, whatever that was, the group might have even been smaller than it yeah. is now. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah,
2: we went. There was a bunch of us. We went to a uh, concert it at Cross Creek. Mm-hmm place was packed with people and people were worshiping, hands were up everywhere and it was just wonderful and, I, I, and, and Jacob was there and he said, boy he says, this is great, this is wonderful and he said, yeah, I said, worship is easy here isn't it? <laughs> and I said, we're not called to easy worship and 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 it's it's it, it built a, a kind of a I feel like a, a strength, maybe the unity that you're talking about mm-hmm. welcome, welcome even when we had a larger group of people at one time, I never felt there were the walls of a, what we would call a clique of any sort,
1: really. So, mm-hmm. if like somebody comes in the door and it's not that they were pounced on immediately, uh, trust me, I've been in, I've walked into churches where Yeah. Uh, I remember going into a
2: church one time down in South Carolina, walked in the door, and and this one guy just pounced on me. Oh, you're looking for a church on oh, there. Yeah. Patients.
0: There's fresh blood. <laughs> <laughs> you Nobody know, pounces on anybody, but, but they welcome them. Yeah. And, Yeah,
1: um, but I I feel like there's like honest worship here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. I think what I kind of miss, like, me at one point had quite a few kids, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ranging from
2: little ones up to teenagers. Yeah. Kind of, at least our, my generation, our
1: old pastor's generation, not here anymore. Right. Uh, well, I have I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, not it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's shift gears here. Uh, these questions might be even more difficult, especially in light of kind of what Dan shared before. What are some of the weaknesses of the city, the city of wilkes So big picture, not our church, but the actual city itself. What are some of the weaknesses we see? Okay. Okay. We have
2: a, I think there's a tremendous language barrier. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I'll just give a, a, for instance, because the city was very recently changed how they're doing recycling. Nobody's getting it right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, yes, but I've got, so I've got got some various neighbors, one neighbor uh, next to us, they are Oriental and very hard to speak with, and every week they, they put it out, they put it out wrong. I've tried to talk to them the neighbor across the street, and every week they still they're not getting right, and they're getting stickers. And you know we have a we have a huge language barrier here. Mm-hmm. People just don't know what language there are. Okay. Uh, but these two beautiful little girls that, that next door to us, and they'll come and they call Darla and Anna, and the one little girl will speak half the sentences in English, the other half is in Spanish, and
1: because she's bilingual, that's how her brain works. Right. It's like sometimes, can you repeat that? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So the well, language barrier is the problem. Yeah, okay. It's becoming, uh, parts of it are becoming more of a college task. You have a lot of kind of transient. And yeah, yeah. A student pretty large student population between the colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're only
2: here for a very short time we're
1: far enough from the Kansas Yeah. On right here, okay. Along well, that same transient mindset, uh, having sat straight
2: across from the now closed high school, uh, the population at Myers High School has been very transient. Mm. The majority of the kids that are going to that school, when they graduate high school, they're gone.
1: Okay. They leave the city, they disappear.
2: They're, they're not the majority of the
0: families that are
2: here, they're not here for the long term.
0: Okay. So they're coming and going. Okay. How about strengths? What are some of the strengths of the city? I think it's a close community. Okay. okay. Community. It mm-hmm.
1: takes a while
2: to break down. A month a day. Yeah. You know, it's nice to people, but now, you know, all over the mm-hmm. They do a lot of cities, like you have celebrations, like the one in July. And it's and Christmas parade and the farmers market and the parks. So there are a lot of things that are already going on mm-hmm. that would be easy to plug into. Yeah. Okay. It's easy to get around. I can be I can be here, and in less than ten minutes, I can be all the way on the other side of town.
0: That's been particularly so lovely easy for Sarah and I.
2: All I say is, look for the river. Yeah. If you find the river,
0: you know... I learned that you pretty quick. <laughs> you want, if you look
2: over to that way, there's, there's you know, Kingston.
0: In yeah. The background. Okay. We're going to shift gears again. Uh, I have one more couple of questions for us to meditate on. These questions are rhetorical. Okay, so don't shout out your answer because it could embarrass you. but if we're if we're being honest with ourselves okay and what i'm going to do is present the questions and then leave a minute of just quiet for you to prayerfully meditate on what has been your role in the strengths and in the weaknesses both in the city and in the church what has been your role in its strengths and its weaknesses so just prayerfully meditate on that for a minute And then if you're willing, prayerfully meditate on this question. What will be your role in rebuilding? Now I want to throw some statistics at you. Um, I'm not going super deep in statistics, but but again with that kind of missions mindset just to start to understand our area a little bit. this is more big picture American culture, okay uh, non excuse me, non-practicing Christians have grown from about thirty five percent to forty three percent from the year two thousand to two thousand and twenty. So in those twenty years, people who consider themselves Christian but do not attend church and and regularly practice their faith, 43%. During that same time, practicing Christians, the number of practicing Christians declined from 45% to 25%. The number of non-Christians or agnostics rose from 20% to 32%. So a third of our population, at best, doesn't know if there's a God. Weekly church attendance has declined from 45% in 1993 to 29% in 2020. Uh, There was a note that 29% is actually a slight increase from 2017. So from 2017 to 2020, uh, it went from 27% to 29%, but still very low. Each generation that we see has fewer weekly attenders. So the, the elder generation, the oldest generation that I believe this was Barna uh, surveyed, of that generation, 37% attend weekly. And then the younger generations were as low as 25% attend church weekly. Giving in the church, for as long as I can remember, has, has hovered around 2 or 3% of income. So we talk a lot about tithing. Tithing, the word tithe actually means 10%, but the average is around 2 or 3% of our income. Only 5% of churchgoers give 10% or more to churches or or charities. And all of those statistics have been complicated by God, excuse me, complicated by COVID, not by God. <laughs> but I believe that God has done and is doing a work in his church right now. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe for all the challenges that the church faced through COVID, I believe God is using that to solidify and to build his church and his kingdom in our country and in the world. The statistics that I just went over, they appear to be doom and gloom. They appear to be the church dying, right? Christianity as a faith is dying but I don't believe that for a second. I do think as we drive through our city, on your way to church, as you drive through neighborhoods, look at the walls. Look at the burned gates. Assess our situation honestly and openly, but also we're not going to get discouraged because God is doing a big thing right now. There are other statistics um that indicate that that God is still working. One, I'll just point one out. I'm gonna skip for time, but um, 70 to 80 percent of believers prayed in the past week at some point. 70 to 80 percent. So the majority have spent time in prayer in the past week, and that number has held steady more or less for about a decade. So for the last 10 years, the majority of believers, now mind you, that doesn't match up with church attendance and whatnot but they're still praying. They're still engaged in their faith. It just looks different. So one of the things that we have to do moving forward is to try to figure out why is there that gap and how can we balance that out? How can we make their prayer life match our church life a little better, right? These are kind of questions that we need to address. But as we do that as a church, as we start to rebuild our church, as we rebuild the kingdom of God in Wilkesbury, let's back into the future. Right? Let's look and see all that God has been doing for 100 years just here, let alone in the city. God is not done with this church. God is not done with this city. There's been so much change through COVID and, and everything else, our cultural shifts and everything, but we serve an unchanging God. Psalm 102, the psalmist writes, Your years, speaking to God, your years go on through all generations. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the world around us seems to be changing very rapidly. The American church, the American culture, Wilkesbury's culture, you know, our church, our very church has been changing so much, but God remains the same. Jesus who we seek for this church remains the same. So we don't have to lose heart. We don't have to feel like the church is slipping out from our hands because Jesus is still here. He's still active. Moving back to Nehemiah, so he he assessed the wall. He saw the damage for himself, got his own firsthand assessment of what the situation was. And then he says, You see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Again, a very honest assessment. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah began with his honest assessment of the situation, but he didn't conclude, pack it up, guys, this is useless, we're going home. Because he knew God's hand of grace was on him. If we believe for a second that God has given up on this city or this church, we're wasting our time right now. We can just go home and have a lazy Sunday. But I know that you all are here because you believe full well that God is not done with this church. In this city, and so Nehemiah began to cast a vision for rebuilding. So let's go back and uh, and talk about the COVID discussion that we started with, right? All the changes and things. One of the things that I think I've seen through COVID, through the shutdown, through people kind of leaving the church, and they were watching online and they haven't come back, and the numbers are all skewed, and there's all kinds of weirdness going on. In Matthew 3, Jesus says his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There is a gate in Jerusalem. um, I have not seen it firsthand, (laughs) but where the farmers would go, they would cut their wheat, and when when you harvest your wheat, there's all kinds of extra stuff in there that you don't want. You just want the wheat. But there was a gate that would create a natural wind tunnel, and so, farmers would bring their crop in front of that wind tunnel and they'd take a rake and they would throw it up in the air, and everything that was not wheat would blow out through the wind tunnel. And they'd be left with just the wheat, just the good stuff. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. With all of the, the mix up and the chaos of COVID and, and the fluctuation in churches and how ministry is being done, I personally think that for probably decades, the church in America got very comfortable, got too comfortable that they were blessed by God and so they rested in that blessing and they let ministry slip. They let the heart of what they should be doing slip. This is not specific churches, but just in general. And I think God is kind of cleaning house right now. You all mentioned it yourself, but I've heard multiple people talk about this church, talk about the small number of people that are here, and they said it in such a way that the people that are left are devoted to that church. And they're devoted to the city. So if we look at it like that, you all are wheat. You're the cream of the crop. You are exactly where God wants you right now. Against overwhelming odds, God continually uses a remnant of people for his glory, to bring about his victory um, very quickly, uh, instead of reading through a portion of Judges 7, I'm just going to summarize that there was uh, the, the Israelites were about to move into an area. They had 32,000 fighting men with them to to take this area, the Promised Land. And God said, you have too many, whittle it down. So all but 10,000 of those people were sent home. And God said, you have too many, whittle it down. And he kept whittling and whittling and whittling until they had 300 men. So they had a force of 32,000, now they have 300. And God used those 300 to win the victory so that there was no way they could say, hey, look what we did. They could only say, hey, look what God did. So yes, we are a small congregation. Yes, we have shrunk down over the years. But I believe that God has you here for a reason. I believe that with all my heart. So I wanted to cast a little vision today. Um, I would love to have a, a very thorough vision of, of strategy and ministries and all that fleshed out for you, but I'm still brand new, and it takes a lot of time to, to be a missionary. You've got to learn the culture, learn the language, all that. I'm not there yet. Um, but what I do want to do is just to kind of give some sense that God is moving in this church, in this city, in our area. The average Sunday attendance for City Light Church in 2021 so far is 24 So, any given Sunday, we have an average of 24 people here. I believe so, yes. The population of Wilkes-Barre is about 41,000 people. Okay? That sounds very intimidating, does it not? Okay, bear with me. What exactly can 24 people do to impact 40,976 people? Hang in there, it's not that bad. Around three to four percent are evangelical Christians, okay? Which means that there are about one thousand six hundred and forty believers in the city, which like phew, right? So now we only have to reach thirty nine thousand three hundred and sixty people. It's much more achievable. <laughs> what I want to say is this: God is moving in Wilkesbury. I'm new here. I don't know the culture yet. I I don't know too many people here, but I can already see that God is moving in this city. Not even just our church, but the churches locally. There are churches that are eager to partner with us to do ministry in the city, to reach this city. Now I'm lost because I already said all this. Uh, this past week, I was invited to a gathering of pastors in Scranton. So most of them were from Scranton, but um, Tim Walker from Restored Church was there, and um, I believe there was one other person. But um, but still, they're they're considering kind of the Scranton Wilkesbury area, one area, and this uh, organization came in to just put before us the vision of us reaching a region. So rather than our church trying to reach all of wilkes right, instead of this 24 people trying to reach 40,000 people, what would it look like for God's church to work together to reach the city? The mission statement they put before us was giving, they want to give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And that's kind of a mouthful, but every man, woman, and child. So every person that lives not just in our city, but our region, right? But let's, let's, city light, let's take responsibility for Wilkes-Barre. We want those 40,000 people, every man, woman, and child in the city to have repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. So what does that mean? It's not just us preaching at them. They, the first thing is for them to see it. For us as a church to be engaged with Jesus in such a way that we are being transformed from the inside out. And they see that. People take notice of that. What does that look like? What's the language of our city? What are the needs in the city that we can speak into so that we can speak the gospel to them? So they see it in us. It creates an interest. And then we speak the words so that they can hear it. And they have multiple opportunities to respond to that message. I think that our task, the task before us, and again, I believe God called you all here now for this reason. Our task is not just to rebuild City Light Church. I believe our task is to build the kingdom of God in Wilkesbury, in the city. We want to dream big. Remember last week I said we want our dream to be bigger than something we can accomplish. Because we're the 32,000 men. Like, we can accomplish this. We can do this. We can have a great youth group and a great this and a great that. We can do that, yeah. But can we, 24 people, reach 40,000? Not without God. Not without the Lord. And so again, the, the humility that Nehemiah exhibited, the prayers, the weeping, the heartache, the fasting that he exhibited, we need to embrace too as a church. When I say... Rebuilding the city of Wilkesbury. Specifically, I'm not talking politically, I'm not talking economically, I'm not talking infrastructure, I'm not talking small businesses or or things like that. But Jesus did say, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. And I believe that if the church, not our church, but the church in Wilkesbury, if we pursue the kingdom of God, if we rebuild the kingdom of God in this city, The economy will survive. It will succeed. I think that politics will be easier because the church will be taking care of people. The church will be doing the things the church is supposed to do. People will be impacted positively by Jesus Christ in this city because of us. Not because of us, because of God working through us. Right? I believe that if we rise in this city, that God will raise up all that other stuff as well. This is a very small group, a very small church in a very big city, but I mean this 100%. I believe that this small group can positively impact our city in a noticeable way, in a tangible way. And if we make that our focus, we want to rebuild our church. We want to grow, right? We all want that. But if we focus on growth, then we're building programs. We're building things. We're building stuff then we can look back and say, hey, look what we did. But if we put that aside and make the city our mission, loving the city, serving the city the way Christ would serve the city, we can't do that on our own. I believe that God has called this group to be the remnant, part of the remnant that God has set aside in this church. That he's cleaning house, and that we are among those left with the mission of impacting our city. The book of Esther is probably familiar to many of you. Uh, The story of Esther took place during this time of exile, during the time of the Persians. Um, And and long story short, Esther was put in a difficult position where she saw her people being uh, persecuted, and she had the opportunity to speak to the king. But as we learned, you don't just knock on his door and, and share your heart. So she had this life or death decision that she had an opportunity to share what was going on to her king. And she was agonizing over that decision, what she should do. And she was told, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I love that phrase, for such a time as this. She wasn't being told, if you don't do it, your people are going to suffer. Because God is the one moving. And so for us as a church, if, if we don't get on board with what God is doing, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But it means we're going to miss out on the blessing of that. That as a church, we might perish. But I believe that God put us here, all of us here now, for such a time as this, that we are exactly where we're meant to be at exactly the time we're meant to be here. We have all the gifts we need, we have all the financial resources we need to do what God wants to do. In Nehemiah 2, he continues But when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start building. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. God of heaven will give us success. Church, we are 24 people. We have a very small budget. We have a very small building. But God is calling us to a job. And if we are obedient to him, God will give us success. Proverbs 16:9 says in their hearts humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. So we as a church I would encourage us to to examine the walls examine the gates get to know your city. When you're driving home today don't just don't just blank out and drive home on autopilot. Pray for the people and the homes that we pass. Pray for the business owners that are around us. Try to open our eyes and ears to what's going on in the city. Where's the heart of the city? We are going to, in, in the weeks and months to come, we're going we're gonna to come up with a strategy. We're going to come up with a plan. This is what we're going to do as a church. These are the ways we're going to try to serve our community. That's us. That's our effort. God will honor that. But what Proverbs says is that he is the one that will establish our steps as we go. Our flawed plans will be corrected. We will be encouraged. We're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have successes and failures. We have to keep our eye on the fact that God is the one that's moving in the city. And we're just trying to be obedient to that. The God of heaven will give us success, just as Nehemiah said. There are so many things in our lives, especially now in our COVID age, that can cause us fear, that can cause us doubt. 24 people trying to reach 40,000 people is very intimidating. But God is trying to reach 40,000 people. And God is asking us to be his hands and feet in that. It's not our success or failure. It's God's. And God doesn't lose. Can you imagine if we were able to give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel? If we start small, if 24 people demonstrate the gospel to one person this coming year, and then we are able to have that moment to give the words for the gospel in this year, in very short time, we have 50 people. We've doubled our number. And God can do that. God can do so much more than that. And it's contagious. If, if we truly focus ourselves on Christ, if we pursue Christ, if we stay in his word, if we are people of prayer, if we're transformed by him, we won't be able to keep what's going on in our heart in our heart. When God's doing a work in you, you can't help but share it with people, right? The joy bubbles over, the love bubbles over, your experience bubbles over. When we start with ourselves, when we're engaged with Jesus, it will transform us, and we will share it with the people around us. They'll see it happening, and that's how God's going to begin to move. If we, 24, do that, that's awesome. If 1,600-something people do it, that's even better if the ones who are hiding in the shadows and falling between the cracks can get wrapped into that, it starts to multiply very quickly. I have no ending for my sermon and I'm regretting that now, but I am so excited just to, to kind of catch a glimpse of what God's doing here. and And I'm excited for us as a church. I'm excited to see what we're going to do what God's going to do through us, but I'm super excited to see that we are not alone in this fight. That there are people all over the city that are feeling the same thing. They're, they're starting to sense this movement, this urgency. So let's just, let's just stop and, and thank God for what he's doing, to thank God for calling us to be a part of it, and to ask us to, be, uh, to help us be obedient to what he's doing as a church. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to just start by thanking you for who you are. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. Lord, each one of us that has faith in Christ started out lost. We started out broken. We started out hurting. Many of us were trapped in our anger, trapped in hurt. In insecurity, and in addiction. God, we were lost. And yet Jesus was not content to let us go, but interjected himself into our lives. That he died to bring us freedom from that, to bring us new life, new hearts, to send his Holy Spirit to fill us to lead us to all truth. God, we are so grateful for what you've done in our lives individually. God, we are so thankful for this church, City Light Church, and all that it has meant to so many people for over 100 years. God, I thank you for the sense of family, the sense of acceptance, and the ability to laugh and joke with one another, to pray with one another, to encourage one another. God, I wish that those 40,000 people outside these doors could experience that. And so, Lord, we just want to ask that you would continue to open our eyes to see what you're doing in Wilkesbury. God, lift our hearts, bring us joy, bring us a sense of anticipation at what you are doing in this city. And God, would you help us? Our minds wander, our hearts wander. Would you continually draw us back to yourself and bring us into obedience to what you are doing? Because we know if we are following your plan, if we're catching your vision, we cannot fail. We thank you for the ways that you've sustained this church and blessed this church over the years. And God, we ask that as we move into what you're doing, as we lean into the work you are already doing, would you help us to trust in your sovereignty, to trust that we have every bit of provision and protection that we need. That there is no enemy that can rise up against us that will withstand what you're doing. There's no dollar amount that you can't afford. God, bless us. Help us to remain obedient to you. God, would you help us to reach every man, woman, and child in this city to be able to see to hear and have opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, would you grant it? We ask in humility, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.